Murder is not justice. There is no solace in revenge. You have had your humanity restored to you. Don't squander it now. What is this? The Vintage Picard Podcast. It's, um, discussion, analysis, debate about Star Trek Picard. All right, good. It's really quite exciting, actually. Very good, fine, I'll listen. Engage. Welcome, Picard people, to episode six of Vintage Picard, a podcast covering Star Trek Picard and Star Trek at large. We are here once again with you doing another podcast, another trekkily themed podcast. I myself would be happy to introduce myself for you if you don't already know. I am Gary McComiskey, and I have a co-host on this trek. Hello, I'm James DeJazy. How you doing, James? Doing pretty well, thanks, and glad to be on board. How about yourself? Indeed. Yeah, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. Another episode of uh, Star Trek Picard to talk about, so that's fun. Absolutely, and uh, quite an episode it is. Yeah, I look forward to Thursdays. I really do. <laughs> I... It's nice to be able to have Star Trek to look forward to again. I mean, they've had Discovery and, and, and other things, you know, other Star Trek products uh, and, and um, pieces of the franchise that they throw out there, obviously, for a while now. But Picard is really something that, I mean, Discovery is something that I enjoy watching, but Picard is something that I really look forward to on a weekly basis. So it's nice to be excited about Trek again. Agreed. If it wasn't for H&I and uh, MeTV, and if you're not familiar with these channels, they are like retro channels that you can get on cable or even um, whatever you call it. It's not broadcast anymore, but uh, with, with the feeds. And uh, they have the all Trek every weeknight on, uh, on H&I, Heroes and Icons channel. So that's always great. But it's true to have something new and fresh to look forward to, especially with characters that we care about so much and Plots that are flowing so well and uh, that, that's intriguing to use a Mr. Data word is very cool and something that I missed too. So it's great to have back in our lives. And it seems like, James, we are not the only ones who are looking forward to this program on a weekly basis because, James, I have some news. Report. You don't say. Indeed I do. So this is hot off the presses. This is fresh. Uh, this, this, this is, this is the new poop that I'm dropping here on the podcast, James. (laughs) So today, as we record, Viacom had their investor call and they, among other things, they made some announcements regarding the Star Trek franchise. For one thing, Star Trek Picard is breaking all kinds of records for streaming and for network signups wow all will be assimilated for cbs all access so it's a hit that's great news good for them it is great news so much so that they have announced that they are now going to be going into production on two additional new star trek series one on cbs all access and one on nickelodeon really yeah wow i never saw that one coming Uh uh-huh so it's, you know, Lower Decks is a show yeah. that they are producing. We talked about that a little bit on our first episode when we were kind of uh, ramping up to Star Trek Picard. And Lower Decks is is 
animated, but it's going to be an adult-themed animated program. That is not this. This is going to be something else entirely. Now, there are rumors that it's going to be about Starfleet Academy, but those are heretofore unconfirmed. Okay, that makes sense, because really, where else can you go in the Star Trek franchise? That, like, mm-hmm. they, when they came up with Star Trek Enterprise, um, obviously everything's in the future, so it's good to see how they got there. So that sounds pretty uh, like a great idea and a fresh idea. And it's not the only thing that they're working on vis-a-vis Star Trek, James, because they also announced that they are additionally going into production on a new Star Trek movie at Paramount. Really? Yes. No details. Nobody knows what it's about. Nobody knows. There were rumors, uh, again, rumors, that there was going to be a Quentin Tarantino what? helmed Star Trek project. Oh, no. But that seems to have cooled off Good. now. Oh. So this may be something else entirely. Nobody, well, I was going to say nobody knows. Obviously, people at Paramount know and Viacom, but they're not telling. So we, uh, we will just have to wait with bated breath to find out what new adventures they bring us. Please be Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Uh, I'm not holding my breath on that one, James. <laughs> I look, I know you saw what we left behind the DS nine documentary that they produced. And by they, I mean the people who were involved in deep space nine, the Iris Stephen bear and, and a bunch of his, uh, cohorts, I guess I would say. And that was crowdfunded and kickstarted. And I know this because I participated in the campaign and I know that you saw it because we watched it together. But I, I, I think that was successful, but I doubt it was successful enough to warrant a Deep Space Nine movie. Like, I'd love to see it. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that's the direction that they're going right now. I think they're, you know, full speed ahead going forward. And this, uh, I, I really, I don't know what it could be. There's as much chance as anything else that it's going to be something else entirely, something new in the Star Trek universe. I have no idea. Okay. I mean, it's way too early, I think, for a Discovery movie, and I don't think Discovery is popular enough to warrant that. Mm. I doubt that the Next Generation cast would be willing to get back in the saddle. I mean, I know they all loved doing it, but in terms of another movie, I think a lot of them 20 years ago were willing to walk away from this because they were done. I don't think now that they'd want to commit to an entire movie. And I I don't know if the interest would be there, frankly, especially with Picard out now to kind of sate that nostalgia. I doubt it's super early for a Picard movie. So I doubt that would be, I mean, unless he was used as some kind of a spinoff. I, I really, I don't know. I I have, I, I really don't think they'd go back to the well on the reboot Star Trek universe, the JJ Abrams universe. I don't think those movies did well enough towards the end to warrant another movie. Plus, they already have a new kind of cast. They at least have a new Spock. I don't think they've introduced any of the other characters from the original series in Discovery, but they do have a new Spock on Discovery. So I I, I think it would just be too confusing for people, frankly, to go back to the other cast that they were using. I, I, re- I don't know. I don't know, and I'm very eager to find out, but I will have to wait like everybody else. Well, I'm just hoping that it's it's great that Paramount has finally woken up because uh, my brother knows more than anybody else the frustrations of trying to deal with Paramount 
and how lazy they were with Star Trek for all of these years, and just the fact that they let Star Wars take over when they really should have kept the ball rolling for Star Trek. Perhaps I should reevaluate that behavior. So for various reasons and all of those things, but also too with the J.J. Abrams movies, they were so poorly written, and it just it was obvious that they really didn't put their heart and soul into it. And for any diehard Star Trek fan or Trekker or Trekkie, whatever you want to refer to us as, it was insulting. So if you try to introduce it to a new generation, they're getting it right with Picard. So if that's what it takes, that they're seeing, like from the Marvel example, that you have the people that cared about the characters and were associated with the comic books, and then they turn that into the movie, it makes the world of difference because they care and it's consistent. I'm all for that. So I'm kind of tired with the Romulans and, and the Borg and all that. I think they, they've played their roles enough. So if it's going to be full speed ahead and the final frontier or whatever, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're seeing with Picard now that there is a wealth of unexplored continuity left to be written. You know, there, yeah. there's once... I mean, obviously now we're seeing what happened in uh, in the post nemesis Star Trek franchise. But up until now, you know, th there had been nothing. There's been plenty of, you know, retcons of the prequel stuff. But, you know, nobody wanted to carry the ball forward. This is a great opportunity to do that. Well, but again, anything at this point is just idle speculation. Yeah, and I also think, too, that the reason why they wanted to do it streaming-wise was, first, I, I really honestly think that they figured Star Trek fans were already tech-savvy anyway, so they'd be there and they'd know how to download and sign up for CBS All Access and all that stuff. I also think it was a little test for themselves to see that they were afraid to put it on network, uh, you know, over-the-air TV or cable or whatever it is, and stick with the apps and, and the online stuff. Uh, and now it's showing that it's paying off. So that that's great. So if they were a little hesitant on that and use that as a little test area, hopefully that they're opening their eyes and seeing that there are a lot of dollars that can be made and that will make them very happy. And for us, for Star Trek fans, good content is all that we ask for. I mean, for me personally, I think that the Star Trek on CBS All Access experiment, if you want to call it that, I think the, you know, f just for me, I think that the thinking behind that was CBS wants to start its own streaming service because everybody else is doing it. And that's where the money is nowadays, mm. but they don't have many properties that can anchor a streaming service. Like there aren't many people who are desperate to watch reruns of, you know, blue bloods and, uh, you know, two and a half men and, <laughs> and, uh, all those know, NCIS big bang theory. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, people enjoy those, but yes. they're in syndication. You know, you yes. can just go watch and it's not something that you're going to go get a streaming service in order to be able to watch. Star Trek is a property that has rabid, devoted fans that will drop that annual subscription fee just for the Star Trek content that they're willing to produce, you know, for a few months out of every year. I think that was the thinking behind the CBS All Access Star Trek deal. And it's paying off for them, clearly. I, you know, as, as, as we kicked off this news segment by reporting, Picard is bringing in record numbers of subscriptions. Obviously, people who, you know, missed 
Jean-Luc Picard and and the old Star Trek that many of us grew up with, they they want that and they want, you know, they're finally getting it and it's finally paying off. So, you know, good on everybody over there for finally pulling the trigger on this. But James, we should pull the trigger mm-hmm. on our review of this next episode because there is a lot of episode to cover, and I think uh, rather than keep the good people who are listening to this program waiting, we should jump right into our coverage of Season 1, Episode 5, Stardust City Rag. I can tell. Oh, it's a bit of the old Stardust City Rag. That's exactly what I thought of, too, going back to the uh, syndication and, and WB and stuff, was the Michigan rag for uh, Michigan J. Frog. <laughs> so that, that's Hello, my baby. Exactly. Oh, honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Thank you. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> and, of course, there's Billy Joel's root beer rag, which is, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's not one of his, you know, most popular songs. It's probably would be considered a B-side. I don't even remember what album it's off of off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up, but it's a, it's an instrumental. It's like, it's like kind of a, a, a fun little piano song. Like you'd hear an old Western root beer rag. You can just look it up on YouTube. It's, it's a fun little thing. It's not that long. It's an enjoyable little ditty. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I love Billy Joel and I can't believe I've never heard of that song. So unless it's, yeah, it's on an album and you're just listening to the iPod or whatever the case is. But anyway, okay. That, thank you for teaching me something else now. Sure. But uh, one place I can guarantee that Billy Joel has not been heard is Planet Vergesen. Vergesen? Vergesen? Vergesen. I like Vergesen. That, that, that sounds uh, kind of, I was going to say Norwegian, you know. It sounds vaguely Nordic, you know. Kind of, Planet Vergesen. <laughs> I like that better. Indeed. I... I somehow doubt that's what they had in mind, <laughs> although it does seem to be very cold there. So you've got that. <laughs> so they got that going for it. <laughs> I don't I don't know how Bill Murray became a running gag on this show. Like, I don't know. Takes all kinds. That's that's what goes through my head. I'm so sorry that this is your window into the insanity. That is my brain. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. But anyway. Planet Virgusen is in the Hypatia system. Uh, That's the caption that we get on the screen. And uh, I was mildly tickled just because Hypatia was uh, just somebody who made an appearance on one of the last episodes of The Good Place, which was a program that I enjoyed very much and was sad to see end. But uh, that's definitely neither here nor there. So, Planet Vergesen in the Hypatia system. This is the Seven Domes 13 years ago. 13 years prior to the current events of the series so far. And inside one of these domes, we see a a Starfleet lieutenant, a red shirt, strapped to a table. And he is in rough shape. And he is about to get worse. He is in the middle of being surgically harvested. For, well, what we will come to find out are Borg implants. And he has not received any anesthetic. He is wide awake and screaming as they... I'm not I'm not even going to describe what they do to him because 
I'm squeamish and it was gross. You feel uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable too. But he's he's being treated, he's being mutilated, basically. And uh, fortunately, while we do watch it for much longer than I was comfortable with, we don't have to watch it for that long because Seven of Nine comes blasting in, phasers drawn, and knocks out the... Calling them surgeons would would be too kind. Butcher, yeah. Yeah, the harvesters, the butchers. Butchers is a good word. So she comes and wipes them out, and uh, we discover that the the poor young man on the slab is Icheb. James, do you remember Icheb? I didn't watch Voyager, so uh, I had to kind of find some other realm to figure out the connection there, too. But no, I, I, I did not know. All right. Well, listener, if you are like James and do not know who Icheb is, or if you maybe have forgotten and require a reminder, go ahead. Really quick, in uh, the the one of the last seasons of Voyager, they wind up on a Borg cube that's all messed up. Uh, actually, kind of similar to what happened to this Borg cube, although it's a different kind of messed up. It would seem. The Borg on it are, are mostly dead, except for like, Borg children, basically. And so, uh, whatever. The, the plot unfolds, and the in the end, the Borg children wind up living on Voyager, and Seven kind of adopts them, and, you know, they become her collective. And Icheb was the oldest and he was kind of, he kind of became the Wesley Crusher of Voyager for the, like the last season. So, um, she, she had a connection to him, which is why, uh, in the scene, she finds him in terrible, terrible shape. It's clear that he is not going to survive what has been done to him. She kind of tries to make him feel better and, and, you know, kind of, fools herself into thinking that she's going to be able to save him, but he knows better and he begs her to end it. Just, he knows he's not going to last. He, and he wants it to end quickly instead of slowly. So she full of anguish pulls out a phaser and says, uh, I'm so sorry, my child, because that is the relationship that she felt like she had with him. And she puts him out of his misery. And, uh, so we kind of flash from one planet, one captioned planet to another. And then we see Stardust City, Free Cloud, in the Alpha Doradus system. And this is not 13 years ago. Nay, this is a mere two weeks ago. And in this, uh, this bar, which is where we find ourselves, in this bar, we see a, a very down-on-his-luck Bruce Maddox. We find out that that Bruce Maddox has come to be in this place and the two weeks ago timeline kind of, I would assume, jives with the beginning of the series. I would have to think it's around the same time that Dodge found Picard and this whole thing got kicked off. Bruce Maddox talks about how he uh, he had his whole lab destroyed by who he thinks is the Tal Shiar and how you know, they, they are after him. He barely escaped himself. And he is telling this story to somebody named Bejazel, which to me sounds like a noise that Jerry Lewis would make. Bejazel! 
<laughs> yeah. The Jaisal with the Maddox and the Hoy. I'm glad you brought that up because when she first comes on screen, they don't say her name until much, much later. So I'm thinking, well, who is this crazy Zool looking kind of uh, Marina Sirtis type looking person? <laughs> yes. Yes. She did look very much like Marina Sirtis. And then, uh, yes, when they finally said the name, I'm like, whoa, wait, what? Was, was it supposed to be like Mixoplex or was it a backwards something? So, yeah, I don't know where that name came from, but it was very distracting. Mixelplix, who actually just made an appearance on Supergirl this past week, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Yes, yes, I like the Zool reference. <laughs> oh my, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry. There is no bejazel, there is only Zool. Exactly. <laughs> oh my. And I, so, yeah, I, I think. I'm being a little kind in suggesting that Bejazel, Bejazel <laughs> is a Jerry Lewis noise because I can think of some other slightly more crass ways of applying that name. But, you know, discretion being the better part of valor, I think that the gentleman shall refrain on this particular podcast. Yeah, unlike Star Trek Picard that has potty mouth and and graphic scenes and things of that nature. It is not for you to set the standards by which we should be judged. So anyway, Bejazel is not a good person. No. We, we come to find pretty quickly that uh, actually, so we should know sooner than we actually do, because if you were paying very close attention or reading the closed captioning as I was doing, you would have noticed possibly that in the very opening scene in the the Borg harvesting scene of 13 years ago when Seven first breaks in off screen and uh, the the person who's harvesting poor Icheb's organs hears a noise she says Bejazel so when when we hear the name Bejazel I'm Bejazel <laughs> and then we probably should you know what from now on James I'm just gonna call her BJ <laughs> just just for the sake of ease. Um, so we should have known that BJ was a badin. But anyway, we find out that Bruce Maddox owes her money. And so that is why her first inclination when she found out he was there was to have him killed, but then thought better of it. So instead, she had him drugged. Yeah, that was pretty nasty, too. Um, one thing that I appreciate among the many things about uh, Star Trek Picard is that they are consistent with the whole history of Star Trek, and I like the fact that, that that they were drinking Tranya. So that's pretty cool, because in other episodes, they reference Romulan Ale. Uh, I believe Saurian Brandy, if I'm not mistaken, but at, at least that's another one of the original series uh, beverages and stuff. So that was pretty cool. I didn't like how they used the Tranya, but still. Yes, so Bruce Maddox is drugged with the Tranya, and he collapses into theme. <laughs> how do you make that funny? <laughs> I don't know, but, you know, I'm... <laughs> That's why I'm not a director, James. I don't know how to make these things funny. But, you know, fortunately, we have a better director than, than I on this show because for the, the second week in a row, the director is... Number one. It's another Frakes, James. <laughs> yes, I was very excited to see that again. Yeah. And uh, so, excellent. Excellent, excellent. Good news, and I have to say, I'll be honest, you know, I, I'll, I'll jump a little bit ahead and I will just say that I don't think I enjoyed this episode as much as last week, 
But I will say that, you know, Jonathan Frakes quality his 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 quality of direction shown through again, because even though I did not find the story quite as amusing or compelling as last week, it was well told and it was visually interesting the whole way through. So, you know, that's the mark of a good director. Absolutely. I agree. And one of the things that we are visually interested in is immediately after we learn that Jonathan Frakes directed this episode and the credits come to a close, we find Jean-Luc Picard in his hollow study watching a free cloud commercial. I don't know why, but, you know, I guess uh, I guess he wasn't entirely sold on the idea of going to free cloud and he, he needed that extra push. He needed to watch the travel brochure just to make sure. Yeah, poor Raffi, after all of that uh, tracking down and research, <laughs> just just trust her. And one thing we get from this commercial is that Free Cloud is kind of this wide open hive of scum and villainy, like Mos Eisley or mm. Switzerland. <laughs> Switzerland, you know, if you if you want it, you know, or, or like the Cayman Islands, you know, it's it, it's a place where where people go to put their money and make sure that people don't ask questions it is, it, you know, in addition to being kind of the, you know, Netherlands where you can go and, and there are things that are legal there that aren't legal in other places. You know, it's like it's a it's a combination of stereotypes, basically. Uh, and, and And so. Fun, fun place to visit, no doubt. Uh, yeah, I, w- I was just thinking downtown Las Vegas or Atlantic City, but okay, I'll, I'll follow your lead. So Picard is interrupted at this by a visit from Seven of Nine, who is, uh, you know, she's she wants to know what he's doing here. Basically, she saved his bacon, and now she wants to know why his bacon was there to be saved in the first place. <laughs> And through the course of the conversation, we come to learn something that uh, was mentioned in the previous episode, though we did not mention it because it did not seem significant at the time. And that was the fact that that area of space where Vashti was located in last week's episode was ostensibly protected by the Fenris Rangers. We don't know who those are. Until this week, when we discover that Seven of Nine is one of them. She is a Fenris Ranger. That's how she wound up being there to save Picard's aforementioned bacon. <laughs> Part of an English breakfast, James. Save Picard's smoked meat, which will be a reference that will make sense later. He, in fact, he, I don't know. I've lost the thread of this conversation, James. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going. What sort of meaningless double talk is this? She, she is a ranger. This is her area of space, I guess. That's why she came and she saved the ship and now she wants answers. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I saved it. I let's go with that. I saved it. <laughs> the, so basically the deal with the Fenris Rangers is that they are kind of vigilantes. Um, a, a, a group of Batman's writ large, who are helping people who cannot help themselves. You know, not not dissimilar, I would say, to the uh, the Kuat Milat, who we met last week and, and who Elnor is a part of. Totally agree. Exactly what I was thinking, too. Well, I'm sorry to have gotten to it before you could make the eloquent point. No, I, you got there, so that's, that's 
the important thing. All right. Well, that's fine. So while they are having that conversation in the study, we then cut to outside of the study on the bridge. I mean, can you even call it a bridge? It's just like a big open room where there are some control consoles. It's like there's there's that area and then the holodeck and then uh, I don't know if there doesn't seem to be any more ship like there's there's that. I guess, you know, it's still early in the show. They don't have an extensive set budget, so they have to work with what they can work with. But it seems like the transporter area is connected to that bridge area and the holodeck must be off on some side room and that's it. It's a studio style starship. Yes, the, that's uh, true. NCC 5150. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. So anyway, sorry, tangent. But um, while they're in the study discussing matters of state or whatever, um, the uh, we, we find Rios and Rafi having a conversation. Uh, basically, they dump a whole lot of exposition for the new viewer about who Seven of Nine is and uh, what what she might share in common with Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, we find out that Seven of Nine is a I didn't write it down. Uh, she's she's a a former Borg from the Delta Quadrant who's a Fenris Ranger and I don't some other I don't know. Rios goes on this whole thing while trying to firmly establish for the audience what her deal is, and uh, he he it slipped his mind to recall he must have blocked it out that Picard used to be a Borg as well. That's correct. So if you didn't know that he was at one point Locutus of Borg then now you know. So they have that in common. Yeah, when uh, when Captain Rios was going through his little <laughs> tangent there, I did find it very interesting. I don't know if we're just on high alert with this uh, show, and I like this, but with all the symbolism involved. But, uh, you know, Gary and I are from New York, and uh, we're big hockey fans, and our favorite team is the New York Rangers. Yes, indeed. So um, whenever I hear the word Ranger, I think of the New York Rangers, you know? Sure. So then when he's talking about uh, Seven of Nine trying to figure her out, he mentions number 99 and number 11. So for any Ranger fan, any hockey fan, those numbers are very significant. 99 being for Wayne Gretzky, the world's greatest NHL player ever. And number 11, Mark Messier, for any Ranger fan or most Ranger fans, treat him like he's a god. So I just really, I don't know if there was a Ranger fan in there somewhere in the writing room. I admire the Rangers' goals. Or if it was just a really strange, crazy coincidence, but that's where my mind went. Yeah, that's a good catch, James. I missed that. That's, that's nice. But so anyway, then from there... Uh, there must be another room on the ship somewhere because <laughs> we find Dr. Agnes Girardi off in a side room alone with her thoughts watching home movies. And in fact, the movie that she is watching is one of Bruce Maddox baking or attempting to bake. She's she's teasing him. She is in this movie an undisclosed amount of time ago. And she is teasing him for replicating all of the ingredients to bake and then actually combining them and baking them himself when he could have just replicated the thing he was baking, in this case, cookies. He doesn't like the way replicated cookies taste. So that, that, that's, that's the thing. But uh, so one, one kind of key piece of information that we do learn from this is uh, something that 
discount my theory from last week that they are father and daughter because at the end of this movie, they kind of segue into some hot and heavy smooching. So unless they grew up on Romulus, it is unlikely that they are father and daughter. Thank you for saying that because if they are father and daughter, I'm done. I'm not watching this show anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, so following that, following that sequence, <laughs> the ship arrives at Free Cloud and uh, they, so first and foremost, they get kind of a, you know, air traffic control handover over the radio and we learn some, some relevant information about this ship that I don't think we had ever heard heretofore. We find out that the ship is actually sadly not named the USS Van Halen. It is in fact the La Sirena. (laughs) And we discover that it is a Kaplan F-17 speed freighter, which uh, doesn't necessarily mean anything to me, but you know, if you're, if you're going to be excited about your galaxy class starships and your sovereign class starships and your intrepid class starships and your defiant class starships, I guess it's only fair that we pay a passing bit of lip service to the fact that this is a Kaplan F-17 speed freighter. The more you know. And that's a mouthful, too. (laughs) So one of the things that Free Cloud features, it's not just commercials. It is personalized commercials, James, because for nearly every member of the crew, they get their own personal hologram pitching them on something. The Captain Rios gets a mechanic who's offering to upgrade his ship. That's how we learn all the technical details about what it is. Jean-Luc Picard is offered the opportunity to have high tea, which he kind of jovially dismisses. Agnes Gerardi is recruited for a job by a Rock'em Sock'em robot (laughs) whom she is encouraged to knock the block off of to dismiss it, which she does reluctantly. And then uh, Raffi is hit up for a drug den. (laughs) Elnor is very sad or at least bewildered because he didn't get one. Yeah, he should be grateful. That's a compliment. I mean, you know, it's played for laughs, but I do kind of have to wonder why he didn't get one. What is it that the commercials are reading or drawing from in order to personalize them? Is it like scanning the ship's library to get a personality profile? Is it, I really can't think of anything else that would do the job beyond that short of like, you know, telekinetic uh, invasion <laughs> or I, I, I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, here's you my have to raise your hand, James. Here's, I have a teacher. No. Yeah, um, yes. Mr. Sajay. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, my crazy theory is that uh, advertising seems to be a lot more annoying in the future than it is now. And that's saying a lot, but uh, with modern day technology, like if you're on Facebook and Amazon and, things like that, that you look up something, or if you're a baseball fan, whatever it is, sci-fi fan, uh, you're looking up Star Trek shirts, and then all of a sudden you're going to get bombarded with ads when you're on Facebook or wherever else you're going online. So it's like they, they track you that way. So maybe in the future, it's even worse where they know what your interests are 
and uh, maybe what your weaknesses are too. So I think that was a good thing for Elnor because he seems from those uh, warrior nuns that he grew up with that they're all noble and uh, good, if you will. So maybe that's why, but that that's just my, th- and maybe they're off the grid too, that they don't have yeah, that's, all that information out there. That's That's kind of what I would lean more towards. And that makes sense. You know, if you... If you grow up in isolation as a monk, essentially, mm. you know, you probably don't have much of an online profile. Although if your theory, which is good, if your theory is is what we're looking at here, does Picard Google T that much? <laughs> Maybe if he's going to get home delivery, I don't know. Look it up Earl Grey recipes. <laughs> I don't know how the replicators work. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right. Anyway. Okay. Uh, I can, I can get behind that. But uh, so this scene is kind of cut short because Rafi immediately begins kind of infiltrating the computer grid on the planet to try and dig up information on Bruce Maddox. And she finds herself on kind of a black market Craigslist or Craigslist. (laughs) So... She finds out that BJ wants to make a deal with the Tal Shiar and she's looking for a go-between who can broker that deal for her, which is their in. Although they determine that they cannot afford to outbid the Tal Shiar and their security is such that they will not be able to abduct Bruce Maddox. So they come to the realization that the only way to do this is to trade seven for him. Seven volunteers herself when she learns that the Jaisal is the person who's holding him. And so she offers herself up for trade. We then move into the kind of uh, the confusing part of the episode. (laughs) I shouldn't say confusing because if you're paying attention, you can understand what's going on. But this is another, you know, one of these stylistic choices that they seem to love. This is another instance of them deciding to intercut between scenes for no good reason. So this is kind of jumping back and forth in time, like Picard in All Good Things. This is kind of jumping back and forth in time between the the kind of the heist portion and the planning stage. So uh, we learn the plan as it is unfolding in front of our eyes, which, I mean, that's a fairly common trope for a heist movie. Yes. So I guess I shouldn't be too surprised they decided to go with it here, but given their history, I'm not inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. Agreed. There seems to be certain factors that they always hit in, I mean, there's only five episodes so far, but they're very consistent with how they do things and and how episodes unfold. Yeah, true. And normally in this kind of instance, I would try and lay them out you know, one scene and the other scene as if they were cut together sequentially. But I think doing that in this instance would actually be more confusing. So I'm just going to try and lay out what we see and hopefully it'll make sense to you. We start out our first impression of this planet, you know, from actually seeing what it looks like is a flyover of what I assume is Stardust City that uh, we kind of fly in over the water and see it's it's almost a series of you know small islands or a, a city complex built on the ocean. And my first impression was Stardust City is small, smaller than I would imagine 
for a place with the reputation, the seemingly quadrant wide reputation that free cloud must have as this kind of, you know, playground for uh, debauchery. What happens in free cloud stays in free cloud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not to be confused with Ryza, which is the, the playground for different types of debauchery, but uh, that's neither here nor there. And in fact, we kind of get a close up on the city as as Rios beams down in a ridiculous costume. And James, I don't know if you caught this. Maybe you did. But there was a sign on one of the buildings in the background and it said Quark Bar. Yes, sir. And it had the uh, the tagline. What is yours is ours. Oh, I didn't see that part. No, yes. that's, that's fantastic. Is that one of the rules of acquisition? Uh, maybe. I really don't know. <laughs> it's Great been slogan. a while. I should, I really should brush up on my rules of acquisition. <laughs> Real quick, though, before mm-hmm. we continue, I'm sorry. Um, my brother and I did go to, speaking of Las Vegas-like and stuff like that, we did go to the Star Trek experience way back when mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. And one of the uh, souvenirs my brother came home with was the book of the rules of acquisition. Oh. So I have to lend that to you. Thank you. You're yeah, welcome. that'd be great. Thanks. Um, so basically, Rios, as I said, he beams down. He's playing dress up, as we knew from from last week's previews. He's he's playing dress up, and uh, well, let's see. Let's say he's dressing up as. Uh, how can I put this in a in a tactful way? To me, he looks like somebody who might peddle services at night, and specifically. Uh, the company of a lady that might be willing to spend some time with you for some considerations. Good. Does that does that paint a picture? Uh, yes, very vividly. <laughs> In my experience, communication is a matter of patience, imagination. I would like to believe that these are qualities that we have in sufficient measure. All right, great. Well done. So that, sir. That's what he looks like. Fun times. And so he is, uh, he's dressed as what they call a facer, which is an interfacer, basically the go-between that we were speaking of earlier. That's what they call them. And so he goes down into the bar and the plan is that he's going to meet with Mr. Vup, who is a lizard man, (laughs) this this lizard man who has uh, purportedly an incredible sense of smell. He can smell preposterous things that are basically you know, contradict the laws of physics, but it's Star Trek. So what do you expect? <laughs> Speaking of contradictions, James, what I found interesting, interesting, we'll go with the word interesting in, in lieu of something more critical. What I found interesting is that they were talking about how he was going to set up a meeting with Mr. Vup to try and, you know, broker this deal. However, they were also telling him to avoid the Lizardman. So, like, which is it? Are you trying to avoid him or are you trying to meet with him? You can't do both. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that's one of the things, at least for me, I find confusing with the way that they cut back and forth. Um, so, yes, questions pop up and then hopefully they are answered eventually. But, yeah, I, I, I was very confused during those whole things and, and distracted by the funny I appreciated the lightheartedness of the outfits and and all that crazy stuff and the characters that they had to play and the whole thing of that nature. But um, yeah, you're right. (laughs) I was very confused. I'll just leave it at that. So he does, in fact, meet up with Mr. Vup, who is quite intimidating. However, 
uh, Rios has a forged identity that Rafi has made for him. And part of this forged identity, I guess, is uh, some credentials, some some vouchers for his character. And uh, Mr. Vup casually drops the fact that uh, a Mr. Quark from Ferenginar was very pleased with the way that he handled his uh, trouble with the Breen. Oh, man. Yeah, you nailed it, Gary. That made me very excited to hear any connection with Deep Space Nine. Of course, Quark, what a great character he was. And the Breen, which towards the end of the series were huge in the, uh, the whole war uh, and, and all that. So that was really nice. I appreciated it and well done. So uh, one thing that I have to wonder, since the, they did show the establishment Quark's bar or Quark bar in the exterior shot of Stardust City, do you think Quark's Bar is now a franchise, like a TGI Fridays? Yeah, exactly. That, that's a great theory. I'll definitely buy that. I mean, so when last we saw him, Rom became the Grand Nagus. So yes. I guess Quark does have an in and, uh, you know, he, he, I guess, would have an opportunity, more opportunity than he would have previously to kind of franchise out and expand his business opportunities. I don't know if franchising a bar is necessarily the uh, the one that I would have gone with. But, you know, for the reputation that the Ferengi have for being duplicitous connivers, I guess franchising out a bar is a pretty honest way of making a living. Well, I mean, TGI Fridays, right? <laughs> and uh, Pizzeria Uno, there's always very prominent bars in those places. So why not? Mm-hmm. But anyway, we also come to learn that Raffi has decided to take a precaution, and that is to unexpectedly drug Rios. <laughs> and uh, so we come to find out that this drug that she has injected him with, well, technically Dr. Girardi injected him, but that's, you know, that is a distinction without a difference. So what he has been injected with is this cocktail of drugs that will take effect when he feels like he is under duress. So... Basically, he's he's talking to Mr. Vup and Vup pulls a phaser on him or disruptor, some kind of weaponry on him. And so immediately you see Rios go all wavy gravy, baby. I'm still not thinking straight. And he loosens up and he he falls into character. And this is important because we've been told that Mr. Vup can smell a lie. He has thousands of olfactory glands or genes is what he calls them. Olfactory genes, which doesn't make any sense. But so he can smell a lie. Okay. I agree it would be difficult. If not impossible. So, you know, they have to make sure that Rios plays it cool and doesn't panic. And he does. And he sets up the whole seven trade and it looks like it's going to work. And so then we uh, we 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 go back to the ship, uh, you know, if we flash back to a previous scene where they lay out the whole scam for us. And one thing while while they're doing this, one thing that jumped out at me, Elnor seemed very confused about the idea of pretense and deception. And I have to call shenanigans on this. I realize that the place they're coming from on this is that Elnor grew up with a conclave of nuns who practice, you know, entirely the way of absolute candor, which is 
you know, basically be honest and upfront, no pretense, no nonsense. What you feel is what you say. I get that. But, you know, he studied apparently for years and he lived on that planet among other Romulans for years, for his entire life, pretty much. His, certainly his entire adult life, his entire development. And you cannot tell me that being in proximity to Romulans, he never learned what a lie was. The, the place where they have false front doors? No way. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I do. I genuinely love this show, and I, I, I am willing to accept a lot, but some of the writing on this show is just silly. Again, I think it goes back to the fact that they're trying to not only cater to us Star Trek fans, but people that are getting into it. And maybe they're just trying to spoon feed us a little bit too much. And that's, I think, another example of that. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is just lazy writing. You know, I I really think this is just writing for a punchline Mm. without thinking through the reality of what you're saying. I'll buy that. Well, you know, I, I imagine on uh, FreeCloud, a- anything is for sale. So <laughs> I'm sure you would be able to buy that. But uh, so, so yeah, they, they set up, as I was saying, before I went on my, my little Elnor screed. So they set up the scam, and it is this. Picard is going to beam down uh, dressed as a cartoon villain. And one thing I have to say, James... Listening to Patrick Stewart, or well, Patrick Stewart playing Jean-Luc Picard, doing a ridiculous over-the-top French accent, appropriately sinister, makes me feel a lot better about my French accent <laughs> when I talk about Le Bal, France, and Chet the Picard, or certain NHL coaches. Yeah, we don't need to get into that right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I feel much better about my funny accent. <laughs> it is at least on par with the admirals. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. <laughs> I am gratified. This is foolish. As well you should be. Yeah, thank you. So, but here, here's one thing. Here's one thing I did notice and a hint of subtlety that I I think they were trying to put across without actually spelling it out for once. So it was established that Mr. Vup can smell a lie, right? Yes. Yes. So Picard knows that he's, he's too experienced and too smart to just, you know, accidentally lie. And the implication is that he would be caught immediately if he did. Part of his deception is he brings down seven of nine. He is posing as the the party that is actually doing the selling of seven of nine in order to obtain Bruce Maddox. So he goes down and when he is speaking with Mr. Vup, he tells him all about how when you are assimilated by the Borg, you can never be clean again. You are you are tainted for the rest of your life. Defiled is what you are. Damned, cursed. And he says all these nasty, hurtful things about Seven of Nine. And you have to believe, given the circumstances of the scene, that 
even though he's playing a character, deep down, he must believe these things. And if he believes them about her, he must also believe them about himself. So, you know, I will give them credit. I will give the writers credit for that, because I think that is a a crafty bit of writing that reveals a lot about his character without coming out and saying it. Thank you. Totally. And that's something that I think that the Star Trek fan would pick up on and something that I appreciated, too. So if we're speaking on behalf of the listener, we'd love to hear what you think about that, too. But that was excellent point and very well done. So this is another one of those bits where it confusingly cuts back to a flashback. And so he uh, he by he pronouns, pal, by he, (laughs) I mean, Jean-Luc Picard is in the transporter area with Rafi. And she is disembarking the ship. She is saying goodbye. Because if you recall, the deal was Rafi would accompany them to Free Cloud. She'd take the ride, but she was getting off at Free Cloud and they'd be on their own. So that moment has come. Picard is saying goodbye to her. Uh, they, they kind of reminisce about how it was like old times for a while. But she's determined and she says her goodbyes and she beams down ostensibly for good. But. Uh, we find out that she had a good reason for what she did. And that is that she has managed to track down her son, who we find out is estranged and has been for some time. Because when Rafi's career fell apart, she became a junkie and she also became super fixated on the conspiracy that she believed occurred that the Federation was involved in, which revolved around the whole Mars attack. And she became so hyper-focused on this that it destroyed her life. And, you know, it's implied that her husband and her son left because she could not be a mother and a wife any longer. She was she she couldn't devote any time to her family because she was so fixated on this when she wasn't, you know, getting high. So that's something that the son, Gabe, He still carries with him. He is not happy to see mom. She tries to explain that she's clean now. She's getting her life back together. And there's a flicker of hope there in his eyes that you can see. And then he kind of brings up the fact that the thing that drove them apart in the first place was her idea about this conspiracy that led to the Mars attack. But she doubles down on that. She she will not back down the idea that it was a conspiracy and there was things going on and, you know, there were lives at stake and, you know, the work that she was doing was important. And that brings up the old pain and the old scars in him when he realizes that she hasn't changed really all that much and she's still all about that cause and not all about him despite her protestations to the contrary. And so he uh, he essentially tells her she's not welcome. She gets to meet the wife who, who is pregnant and she she's hoping that she can rekindle that relationship with her son. But he pretty much tells her in no uncertain terms that, you know, thanks for stopping by, mom. You're leaving now. And she's clearly pretty broken about that. I'm also curious, is that like a hospital or something? I know they, they showed the, uh, I only saw the episode once. I should have watched it a couple of times, but they uh, showed an exterior and uh, it was like some sort of. Um... It was like a reproductive health clinic. Okay. So I, I don't, she was pregnant. I mean, I guess it's kind of the equivalent of an OBGYN, 
I assume I, I <laughs> in in spite of, you know, being a father, yeah. I really don't have all that much experience with such things. So I, I'm not confident enough to say one way or the other, but that's how I took it. Yeah, because I think that his wife was a Romulan. So to me, I wasn't sure if that was a safe house or a hospital or what, because when Rafi was talking to her son, Gabe, uh, it just seemed like they were in some sort of, you know, hospital area in, in, uh, in a common area. And it didn't look like uh, somebody's house or a living room. Yeah, I, I thought she was a Vulcan reading that scene. Her name was Pell, or at least he calls her Pell. It might be short for Tapel, which was, um, I don't remember who the character was, but it was a name that was used by somebody in <laughs> somewhere in the Star Trek canon. I don't, sorry. I should have researched this, but um, yeah, I, I thought she was a Vulcan. You thought she was a Romulan. It's really not made clear. And ultimately it doesn't matter all that much. What I was trying to get to, which I didn't get to the point at all, was the fact that if they were kind of like outlawed or something, that it was voodoo for, uh, which I hope, you know, obviously what, what Gene Roddenberry's idea of the future was that there was no more prejudice or racism or anything like that. But um, I was just curious how that was all going. I guess we'll find out how it all unfolds. Okay, James. So while you were uh, opining on that situation, I Googled it. And uh, interestingly, there were uh, two Tapels, prominent Tapels in Star Trek. And it basically puts us right back where we started. One of them was the Vulcan wife of Tuvok from Voyager. The other one was a celebrated Vulcan ambassador in The Next Generation who wound up being revealed as a secret Romulan spy. Oh, boy. So while I am inclined to say that if you are going with naming convention, Tapel would be a Vulcan name because I guess that would be her cover name as a Vulcan. I really, you know, I'm not confident enough to believe that it's trying to tell us anything one way or the other. It's probably symbolic of something, but what that something is, <laughs> but I think that's something that's going to have to remain unresolved because going back to the main story about time, the gang, the gang, the, 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 that scrappy Picard gang, they uh, wind up getting their meeting with BJ and she, she and seven have previous, as <laughs> they might say in England, they've got some history. They've got a, a deep and personal history. And this is kind of a callback to something you were talking about last week, James. She calls her Annika. Mm. This is not a Borg identification. Which, as we mentioned last week, is Seven of Nine's human name. So they were close enough that she would know that and, and that she would have occasion to call her that. So maybe as she adapted to, you know, life in the Federation, she did embrace her name of Annika Hansen. And then we will come to find out that she was betrayed by Bejazel. And so she maybe rejected that name after that and, and kind of went back to the cold calculated seven of nine who, you know, didn't have those kind of feelings or at least was able to bottle them up back on the Van Halen. <laughs> they, uh, it's, it's just easier. It's easier and more fun for me to call it the SS Van Halen than to uh, start calling it La Serena. 
La Serena. I want you to stop this immediately. And so, uh, yeah. So, so back on the VH, <laughs> Dr. Agnes Girardi is in charge of the transporter. The role of Scotty will today be played by, uh, or I, I guess Chief O'Brien would be a more apt analog because Scotty did do the transporter room, but he was mainly the chief engineer. Whereas Chief O'Brien's role on the Enterprise was, well, when he wasn't a helmsman, he was almost exclusively transporter chief. So anyway, that's, that's, that's some unnecessary history. But uh, so, so back on the ship, Agnes Gerardi has been tasked with the task of retrieving them when the time is right. So she's up on the ship waiting for the call and she's silently having a breakdown. And, and uh, so much so that the emergency medical hologram materializes unbidden and inquires that she please state the nature of the psychiatric emergency. I like that. I thought that was very interesting because that would make sense that it would just kind of come to, like you said, it would materialize because uh, it would understand the heartbeat and, and, and panic mm-hmm. ensuing. So I thought that was pretty cool how that uh, popped up. I mean, yeah, it's it's basically it's the computer monitoring your vitals and manifesting as a hologram. But it's it's basically just the ship's computer keeping tabs on you. And so uh, Dr. Girardi is like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Nope, nope. I'm, I'm totally fine. I'm to go away. And she dismisses him. So I'm sure that won't lead to anything down the road that that won't come back. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So. <laughs> So back down on the planet, the bad guys draw down guns on everybody, and it looks like things are starting to go a little sideways. So Seven decides to ensure that they go sideways. She prematurely breaks her handcuffs. Well, breaks out of them. She doesn't break them. She's not the Hulk. But uh, she, she frees herself from her restraints, and she goozles BJ. Goozles, if you are not familiar, is uh, an inside pro wrestling term that basically equates to grabbing somebody by the throat. Oh, thank you. I didn't know that. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, she 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 does that. And it's clear that the charade has been dropped. But just for clarification, Elnor has to ask, have we stopped pretending? Yes. Picard says, yes, I think everybody has finally stopped pretending with a very pointed look in Seven's direction. So uh, we, we kind of, at this point, get a little more backstory on the nature, please state the nature, of the Seven-BJ relationship. And that is, basically, we find out that Bajazel used to run with Seven. She infiltrated the Fenris Rangers. And it is implied that during that time, she and Seven became very, very close. I would. And uh, in fact, however close they became, they became close enough for her to learn about the existence of Icheb. And in fact, it was, as, as we discussed earlier, her involvement with those harvesters that caused Icheb to be slaughtered, essentially mutilated at the beginning of the episode. And uh, so that was really Seven's breaking point. She felt that as, as a deep betrayal. She felt profound guilt because Bejazel only learned about Icheb from her 
And, you know, she she also taunts her a little bit that Bejazel had seven in her clutches and she managed to slip through her fingers because, you know, the the fortune in Borg technology that she has within her body just flew out the door. And while they are discussing this, Vup Lizardman pulls out a, a hidden weapon that it appears he is going to shoot them with. But before he can do so, Rios shoots him from uh, the background and says, you know, now might be a good time to leave. And uh, Seven's like, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm just going to kill her first. And so Rios actually manages to talk Seven down, claiming that if she does so, then there will be a bounty on all of their heads. And it's cool. He doesn't mind running and she can clearly handle herself. But Picard and Elnor are SOL. So they don't want to bring that heat down. So they should all just beat a hasty retreat. Discretion being the better part of valor. And so she reluctantly agrees. They beam out and uh, they, they, they go back to the ship. And it seems like, well, I wouldn't say all is well, but it seems like she will live to fight another day. Rios, however, being the crafty, wily dude that he is, has other plans. And he, when they get back to the ship, he surreptitiously slips her a pattern enhancer so she can beam back down. And, you know, so she kind of tucks that onto her person and then she convinces Picard. Actually, I say convinces. I don't know how convinced he actually is, but she pays lip service to the idea that, yeah, my ride's here, so I'm going to beam away. But uh, can I just grab two of those phasers real quick? You know, because you can always use phasers out here. And Picard kind of gives her a right. Okay, sure. But uh, one thing Seven does do is she basically gives Picard her card and says, if you ever need help, call me. And then they they kind of have a little heart to heart about humanity and how, you know, even coming back from from being assimilated by the Borg, it's a constant struggle, but it's something worth fighting for. And the, the galaxy doesn't need vigilantes. It needs people who are earnestly trying to help. This is our obligation. Sounds like she agrees with him. But uh, the, the one kind of salient thing that comes out of this, the, the most poignant moment is when Seven asks Picard if uh, he ever recovered his humanity after being assimilated by the Borg. And he says definitively, yes, yes, I did. And then she she follows up and she says all of it. And... He thinks about it for a second and he definitively says no, but he's still trying. He's 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 working at it, you know, and and she agrees that it is a work in progress. They're both working on it. So all that being said and done, seven beams down. And uh, of course, she goes immediately after Bejazel. She takes out her security force and she has her at phaser point. Bejazel basically tries not to plead with her life, but she she tries to get in one last little villain monologue and Seven essentially tells her what you did was unthinkable. When you took Icheb from me, you hurt me more deeply than you can ever know. And she vaporizes her, which was a turn. I mean, not unexpected, but it's not something you really 
expect to see the hero do on Star Trek. Agreed. Exactly. Uh, I was really surprised at that. I was thinking, okay, she'll, she'll think of what Admiral Picard said and then everything will be okay. I was thinking that maybe she was just going to, you know, maybe mutilate Bajazel a little bit herself. Like maybe take, take out her knee or shoot an arm off or, you know, an eye for an eye, so to speak. Right. Uh, but when she totally obliterated her, I was kind of like, wow, cool. Not bad. And then the supplementary security force comes in and Seven shoots her way out and, uh, you know, I guess lives to fight another day. And so one thing I did note, though, James, even though they kept calling those weapons phasers, they they fired pulses like they, they were pulse rifles, essentially, which, I mean, looked cool when Seven was firing them machine gun style. Mm. But, you know, it's not how we normally see phasers. Phasers we usually see as a solid beam. This was just like, so, you know, that was an interesting thing. Very good point, too, uh, to kind of go full circle um, with the sci-fi world. To me, it looked kind of like Terminator-like when she was shooting like that. That was an excellent point. I, I yep. couldn't put my finger on it, but you, you nailed it when you said it. That That's exactly correct. And also, too, when they first showed up to Stardust City and Free Cloud, it looked very Blade Runner-like to me, too, especially with the Orion Slave Girl dancing and per- predominantly in that big, I don't know, 3D advertisement, if you will, and all that stuff. But that's an interesting point, and that's exactly, thank you. I couldn't put my finger on it, but that that's what it was with the, uh, the phasers or whatever they were. All right, good points. So from there, we go back to the ship for kind of our denouement of the episode, and that begins with... Picard in what I assume is sick bay and Bruce Maddox on a slab. It seems like so many of the scenes in this show start or end with people on a medical slab. I, I don't, I, uh, I don't get it, but so Bruce Maddox is on a bio bed and he is apparently in rough shape, which I don't really get. I mean, it sounds like Maddox was going to be Bejazel's big score, like her big payday from the Tal Shiar. And the and they decided to rough him up pretty badly. You know, wouldn't you think if he was your golden goose, wouldn't you want to take extra special good care of him instead of, you know, beating him and letting him die of exposure? Uh, I guess it goes with the spoiled brat kid. You know, if you have the toy and you don't take care of it, mommy will buy you a new one. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't, it didn't, it's another one of those things that didn't make sense that it seemed like they just put in for the sake of the plot, but didn't think through. I find that hard to believe. But I don't know. You're right. Yes, because why else would he be? Okay, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, he needed to be on that bio bed for what was going to happen in the next scene. But it doesn't make sense that they would have put him in a state where he would need to be in that way. Well, maybe that drug in the Tranya was a little bit too potent. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. But anyway, so he's telling Picard, he's talking to him. He's like, yeah, Dodge is dead, isn't she? And he's like, yeah, she, I, she came to me and I couldn't save her. And so, you know, there's a little bit of guilt there, but he kind of, he, Maddox, but Maddox kind of accepted it because he, you know, figured as much after the Romulans attacked him. And so Picard wants to know, does she have a sister and where is she? Yes. Her name is Soji, and she's on the artifact. 
The artifact to you, well, yeah, you, no, you don't mean that Borg cube thing. Yeah. What? What were you thinking? And uh, so basically, we learn that Maddox put them both where they were, Dodge on Earth and Soji on the Borg cube, because he wanted to learn the truth about the synth ban. He wanted to find out what happened because something shadowy and crazy is going on and the Federation was involved and he wanted to dig down. This is going back to that conspiracy stuff that Rafi was going on about earlier. You see, James, it all ties together. Exactly. So that's why they were there. That's why she continues to be there. And Picard knows where he has to go next. So that's set up. But uh, while they are discussing this, Dr. Gerardi is kind of standing there in the background looking miserable. Clearly eavesdropping and overcome with emotion as she is doing so. And then she kind of gently informs Jean-Luc Picard that Maddox needs his rest. And so he goes on his way. And where he goes is to talk to Rios and to inform him that they need to go to the artifact, which happens to be hanging in Romulan space. And, you know, if they're going into Romulan space... That's going to double his fee. And Picard just gives him a sly smile. He's like, okay, Hefe, whatever you say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they kind of set up the stakes for the next episode. That's how it starts. And then they decide to end the scene on like a... Wah, 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 because he's he says, what do you want to do about our stowaway? And... Raffi is hiding in a closet for some reason. I guess she <laughs> snuck back up onto the ship in shame and Picard just goes over to a closet. He knocks on the door. He's like, welcome back. And like, it's, I don't, I don't understand why you need that beat. You know, I think it would have been, I don't think they need the comedy beat there. I really don't. I think the episode is more powerful if it ends like the way it actually ends and the the ser- it's okay to have a serious tone for the last five minutes of an episode without throwing in a punchline just for the sake of laughs. I don't agree with it. I don't like this is this is part of why I didn't like the episode as much as previous episodes. I feel like a lot of it was forced and I don't I'm sorry. I don't want to I don't want to get into the episode review part prematurely, but that just kind of rankled me. But um, anyway, so. Following that, the final scene of the episode is back in the sick bay and Dr. Girardi, she is talking to Bruce Maddox and he's telling her how she played an integral role in the creation of Dodge and Soji. She, you know, she she played a critical part. It was Sung and him and her. And she says, okay, that's one more thing that I have to atone for. And then she pulls the plug on Bruce Maddox. She straight up murders a dude. And the EMH pops in and again asks her about the nature of her emergency. And she again dismisses him while he's trying to explain to her that that guy's going to die. You need to stop that. And she sends him away. And then he dies. And he gets really weird, like marks on all over his face like something very bad is going down which again i don't really understand because while he was in rough shape he wasn't in you're about to die in the next 30 seconds shape when they pulled him back the only thing i can rationalize here is that he was in the midst of some treatment that when stopped immediately had a catastrophic effect on the body 
but I really, I don't understand what happened. Thank you for bringing that up too, because another sci-fi movie that came to mind when the way Dr. Maddox died or Bruce Maddox died was uh, like the movie Prometheus, which was supposed to be a prequel to the Aliens franchise and how they explained how the aliens developed and why they became. And that's how the humans died in that first instance where like some crazy stuff went through their veins and they turned all black and their eyes turned black and it looked like a horrible way to go. That just reminded me of that totally. Yeah. Okay. Good callback. Which has nothing to do with anything, but... Well, it's sci-fi. Yeah. So I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, yeah, so, so in the midst of this... Dr. Gerardi is kind of mumbling something about if only you knew what I knew. And uh, we, we are left with the impression that she is in on the conspiracy and that she is eliminating Maddox to shut him up, which, again, doesn't make a lot of sense to me from a logical standpoint, because the Rizzo, who we didn't see in this episode, <laughs> thankfully, we saw neither Rizzo nor Narek. Although it seems like we're going to get a heaping helping of them in the next episode. It is inevitable. But I'll take it where I can get it. She was all about, you know, they could kill Soji straight up, but instead they want to find out where the rest of them, the implied rest of the, I don't know, synthetic creatures that Maddox created, one assumes where they're located. So if you're trying to pump somebody for information about that, why not hang on to the guy who actually presumably built them and would know like instead of you know hammering somebody who ostensibly doesn't know i I, it just just, it doesn't make logical sense to me but very very many things about this show don't make logical sense to me i've i've enumerated that already so yeah it it seems like gerardi's in on it uh in hindsight it's entirely possible that she was brought in on it by the Commodore way, way back in episode two uh, when she approached her in Japan. But, you know, that's just speculation. So uh, now now we know that there's kind of a, a, a mole or a bad actor on the ship. And that's that's where we leave off this episode. And we run straight into the next time on Star Trek Picard, which seems like it's going to take place pretty much exclusively on the artifact. And so we'll get plenty of Rizzo and Narek and Soji's mental breakdown that I have no interest in watching. The, the only thing about this that I really was kind of excited about, it looks like, you know, the Picard gang is going to find themselves on the cube. And uh, the last scene of the the preview the coming attraction is a shot of picard as locutus so i imagine he's going to have some kind of ptsd when he's on the cube that's my speculation there but it should be an interesting thing worth watching so i've talked an awful lot (laughs) about what i thought of this episode james so uh i i think it's only fair that i hand the reins over to you in asking james what did you think of this episode analysis thank you i liked it it was good again i i apologize for saying the same thing over and over again but it's it's a good series it delivers what it's promising to do and i try and focus on the good stuff so i appreciated the quark references and and the tranya and things like that that's uh, i can't get enough of that stuff i thought it flowed well 
for what they're trying to do and build up for. And it answered some questions. I was surprised how quickly they got Maddox on, how that whole plan went down. Again, I guess they're trying to keep each episode to about 45 minutes an episode, so you can't focus too much attention on things like that. So, yes, I agree with you with with the the holes in the plot and uh, how they're kind of spoon-feeding us with things. And uh, I'm very, personally, I'm a little tired with uh, Picard going to beg for someone's help who uh, has to have his or her arm twisted and says, no, 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 I'm not going to help you. And then all of a sudden, two seconds later or five minutes later, comes to his aid and, and there you go. And, and yes, the, 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 the cutting and the flashbacks, and that's a little bit much for me. But uh, that's just my opinion. I'm an old guy, so I'm not used to that stuff. I'm used to the original series and Next Generation and Deep Space and all that. But all in all, uh, it's delivering. It's very satisfying. And... I want to know what happens. So they're, they're still keeping my attention. I'm overlooking all those little things that we're nitpicking about. And uh, I thought it was a good episode in, in the terms of if this is the halfway point of the first season. And it is. Then I think they accomplished that goal. All right. Well, that's that's fair and reasonable. So two things that I want to kind of mention here at the end. I will leave a lot of that stuff that I talked about already Earlier in the episode, I, I won't rehash that because I think I made my points, but two additional things that I thought worth mentioning. One is I found it interesting that we had two quote unquote returning characters in this episode from Star Trek canon from, uh, you know, kind of guest actors from from previous Star Trek incarnations, Voyager and the Next Generation in Icheb and Bruce Maddox. Neither of those characters was played by the original actor. So I don't, I mean, I looked it up in Maddox's case, the actor, I I can't find any, his resume isn't all that long and it seems to end in uh, the mid 2010s, like 2014, I think was his last acting gig. It's possible that he just retired from acting it's also possible that they didn't like him for the role, so they went elsewhere. But, you know, my first impression of that would be, oh, he doesn't act anymore, so they had to grab somebody else. I don't know why they decided to make old Bruce Maddox look like Fidel Castro. <laughs> that was a little confusing to me. Like, you know, he back in the next generation, he was this clean cut, lanky dude. And now he's this bushy bearded, crazy haired, you know, I don't know. Baker. I just, I, yeah, Baker. Okay. <laughs> I didn't get it, but I'm not doing the casting for this show, so nobody has to consult me. That's correct. Uh, the Echeb thing, that actor is very much still working, but I suspect that he looks so different from the way he looked as a child that, you know, facially, they didn't think he would have looked like the same character, That even in the makeup. That's my suspicion. I have no confirmation of that it's just idle speculation but that's my best guess based on the way he looks and and the way that the Icheb character in this show looked plus you know he was on screen for such a small amount of time they probably figured it doesn't really matter irrelevant so uh those were those were my my two just observations about the casting of this show the other thing that i think is important to mention going into the next episode and beyond is after what Dr. Gerardi did and what the EMH witnessed her doing, you know, she, she killed a guy. 
she like there was there was malice aforethought there and even if she's a i mean she's a robotics expert so maybe she'll be able to cover it up some way but when picard left he was okay he was you know relatively stable and he was receiving treatment the logs are going to show unless she alters them that you know it was his his treatment was turned off and he died like that's the elephant in the room so i will be interested to see going forward how they address that yeah me too that's what i was alluding to with plot holes and things absolutely but uh i think all that all that that we just went through is gonna about do it for the coverage of this episode do you have any parting thoughts there james i'm good thank you sir okay all right i'm sure we are all quite good for this (laughs) end it now You know, that being the case, I would like to remind you, dear listener, that if you have some thoughts on our theories, if you have some thoughts on the episode that run counter to what we've suggested, if you saw something we missed, something that you want to put out there that you think we should discuss, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your theories. We want to hear your feedback on the podcast. It's still pretty new. We're still kind of finding our feet in terms of format. We want to know what you like. We want to know what you think could be better. So please feel free to reach out to us. We are vintagepicard at gmail.com. If you want to email us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we are also Vintage Picard. You can, you know, just search for Vintage Picard and you can get us. And when you get us, consider getting yourself a subscription to this podcast because we want you to be able to get it as soon as it drops. We don't want you to have to go searching for it. We don't want you to have to worry about missing it. We want you to have it as soon as it's there to be had. So please consider subscribing and please consider telling your friends about the podcast. We want to grow this the best way to grow a new thing like a podcast is via word of mouth. That is the most reliable way to spread the word. So if you like this podcast, if you find it worthwhile, valuable, please tell your friends. We would be ever so grateful if you could do that. So that is going to do it for us here. We will see you right here again next week to cover another episode of Star Trek Picard. But until then, in the interim, we bid you, as always, safe journeys. Thanks, everybody. I've already forgotten. What is it called? Stranya? Sanka? Tranya. Tranya. Okay, all right. Thank you. Sanyo. Um, It's so...